Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Well, quite literally, quite literally, there's nowhere else in the world that Dana and I would rather be than here this morning with you all. And the reason for that is because you are such an encouragement to us. Uh, but we've been away from you for, for, for four and a half years, uh, serving in Turkey again. And uh, so finally, we marked it on the calendar, counting down the days. And finally, we're with you once again for the missions conference. Quite literally, there's nowhere else we would rather be uh, this morning. We've been, back, we've been back eight weeks now. Uh, we're adjusting. I thought I'd give you an update on that, uh, an update on our, on our adjusting. Um, grocery stores now have self-checkouts. <laughs> I wasted two minutes uh, uh, staring at this machine, trying to figure it out. I thought I had figured it out, but just two days ago, I I wasted two more minutes because it told me to wait, and so I was waiting. Uh, Apparently, it was waiting for me. and re- uh, restaurants now have this, have this touch screen, and apparently you tip your waiter before you're served, right? They ask you what percentage you want to tip, and you haven't, you haven't had a server come to your table yet. That's new to me. I guess one in Rome. Do as the Romans do. Um, gas pumps are very intimidating. Um, I don't know if you know that. Those of you who live in America, you get used to gas, gas pumps. Those are intimidating. I, they're, they're not standardized, and, and I still don't think I figured them out. Um, you know, in Turkey, we have metal detectors everywhere. Everywhere we go, we're, we're going through metal detectors. And still, I find myself, when I go into like big buildings like the library or a church, I find myself uh, grabbing my cell phone and my keys and getting them ready to go to, through metal detectors. So I'm not quite there on that. And probably the worst one is yielding for pedestrians uh, and in crossways in parking lots. I, I'm just not used to that. I just confess that I'm still, I don't know if that's an American thing or not, but it's certainly not a Turkish thing. And I'm still not slowing down like I ought to yet for pedestrians. Um, so uh, our, our conference theme is uh, my story. And so we're gonna, I want to pick a my story from the Old Testament, connect it to missions and talk about Turkey as well. But before I do that, I thought I'd just share a little bit about my own uh, background story, my, my backstory with you this morning. Um, I grew up uh, just up the lake in, in uh, Sheboygan. Uh, wrestling was a huge part of my life. I started wrestling uh, when I was in uh, third grade. My coach was Jim Cowdy. Um, he is a believer. He's also a very gifted evangelist. Uh, eventually, years later, when I got my, um, my driver's license, he helped me to pick out a good Bible teaching church to go to in Sheboygan. In fact, he was so important in my life that years later, uh, I invited him to be in my wedding. Uh, so this, uh, this tournament, I, th- I think I remember took place in Nebraska a long, long time ago. Any other wrestlers with us this morning? No, there's a few, few old guys. There's, yeah. We'll have to wait for the next crowd to see if there's more, more wrestlers. Um, I, I hated losing. That's me there on the left. I hated losing. Fortunately, I didn't do that very much between third grade and my high school graduation in 19, 1988. And, um, you know, wrestling uh, is, is what the Lord used to bring me to faith in Christ. In, in this picture behind me is Ben Peterson. Ben Peterson was a two-time Olympic medalist. He won silver in 1972, and uh, I'm sorry, gold in 1972, and silver in 1976. Uh, he's a um, passionate believer, and with his success, he established a Camp of Champs summer wrestling camps um, in northern Wisconsin. And so with Jim Cowdy's encouragement, I went to this uh, camp when I was 12 years old, 
And I'll never forget the first night of camp. Um, we were in our cabins, and uh, the counselor said, I want everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. I had never heard that phrase before. I complied. And the person said, and my counselor said, if, if you want God to work in your life this week, raise your hand. And I thought, well, that's a dumb question, right? I thought, of course I want God to work in my life. And I raised my hand. And you know, that week, um, uh, in addition to learning wrestling, um, Ben had, a, we had uh, short Bible studies where he explained the cross of Jesus Christ. And at that camp was the first time that God gave me ears. I didn't have ears to hear that my sin separated me from Christ. I hadn't had ears up until that point to understand that I was condemned in my sin. And then to understand for the first time that Christ, because he loved me, stepped into my shoes, chose to pay my debt, be a sacrifice for me, pay my ransom. And so on the last nights of camp in this, um, in this lobby, uh, in this um, lodge, uh, my counselor again said, Brian, you know, you raised your hand at the beginning of the week. You've heard the story of Christ. What do you want to do with this? And I said, you know what? I'm ready to believe in Christ. And so there in that lodge, I prayed with my counselor, came to faith in Christ. And just moments later, moments later, Ben Peterson came in. And so my counselor shared the good news with Ben Peterson. Ben Peterson put his medals around my neck and uh, took a picture. And we celebrated my coming to faith in Christ in the 19. 82. This picture is very symbolic to me, and let me explain it to you. This uh, picture was taken 40 years after Camp of Champs. This is, I'm with Ben Peterson again. Uh, this time, rather than being in northern Wisconsin, we're in Israel. This, is, this, this picture was taken in Israel. And if you've been a tourist, you may notice the spring and the cave in the background, and you might recognize that this is Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. What famous words did Jesus speak to his disciples from Caesarea Philippi? He said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so Jesus is speaking of the, of the flow of the gospel beyond the Jewish nations to all the Gentiles all over the world. So here I was in Caesarea Philippi with my spiritual father celebrating 40 years of being in Christ and thinking about how we're in the very place where Jesus spoke these words and how God intersected my life with Ben's life to bring the gospel to me, and then from me uh, to Turks uh, for the last 28 years in Turkey. So just an amazing uh, symbolic picture that uh, I count precious. And then finally, this is uh, Dane and I, 25 years old, with eight bags packed the night before we flew to Turkey for the very first time. For the very first time. So that's a little bit about my backstory. And like I said, I want to um, very quickly uh, look at God's word and I want to pick a, a story, hopefully, and maybe a little bit of an odd story so that it's memorable for us this morning and we can uh, uh, t connect and tie to missions. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn them on with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Verse four, and this is the story of Jerusalem's city walls. Jerusalem's city walls. Biblically speaking, this is a 550-year-old story. This story starts with David in the Bible, and it ends with Nehemiah. And so we're going to look at these two these two bookends. Second Samuel chapter five, verse four. 
is where I'm beginning. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David, and David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft, a weakness in their defense. Let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the Milo inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. So here we have a Jebusite prediction. The Jebusites say, said, you will not get in here. The lame and the blind could repel you. The disabled and the, and the physically challenged among us could ward you off. This, must, this, taunt, this taunt must have had, had some kind of legitimacy to it. After all, Israel had been in the land now 40 years uh, and, and this, this enclave had not still, still had not been, been conquered. And so here we have this foreign enclave that was persisting in Israel until the time of David. And of course, considering who they were speaking to, God's peop people, this, their mock was ultimately a miscalculation. This is a defiance against the living God. They were spiritually lame and unwilling to stand up and walk near to their creator. They were spiritually blind and refused to see the glory of God. And as much as that is true, then this story, uh, these dim th this dimension makes it relevant as we think about missions. Let me talk to you about this daunting ta task that, that we face called mi missions, much like that Jebusite enclave. 1.9 billion Muslims in the world today. 1.1 billion Hindus, most of them in India, 500 million Buddhists in the Far East, 400 million adherents to Chinese folk religion, of course, China itself, 1.4 billion people, 400 million of them following Chinese folk religion, 250 million members of tribal religion, uh, tribal religions, pockets here of 100,000, pockets there of 200,000, all over uh, unreached, difficult places. And altogether, 7,000 least reached people groups. So from Muslims and Hindus, Far East Asians, tribal peoples, uh, missiologists tell us there are about 7,000 unreached people groups, Turkey being one of them. Continuing on, 2,000 languages. In, in, the, in the year 2023, there are still 2,000 languages without a single verse of scripture. And eighthly, 100 million displaced. Today, there are 100 million displaced people. That number has doubled in the last 10 years. It used to be 50 million, now it's 100 million. If this were a country, it would be the sixth 
largest, 16th largest country in the world. People displaced because of wars and because of natural disasters. Ukraine, Ukraine just added 8 million people to this list. Turkey and the earthquakes just added 2 million more people to this list. And so the, the, the task of reaching the, the least reached is daunting and it's difficult. And it's in these places where the governments say, you will not get in here like the Jebusites. And if the governments aren't saying it, then the most religious portions of the communities are saying, you will not get in here with your gospel. Or perhaps it's the topography, right? Because the remoteness of where they live, whether it's desert or jungle, but it just screams, you will not get in here. Or maybe it's the difficulty of the language or the difficulty of the culture, but screaming, you will not get in here. And if you do get in here, then they will mock you by saying, a child, if you debated a child, a child could, could, could um, debate you and refute Christianity. The blind and the lame could refute just Christianity. Friends, these are places where, you know, if people who go, unless they're there for 10, 20, 30, or 40 years, they will make no impact. These are difficult places. And when you think about the, the task being that difficult, it's like, man, these walls are too high. You know, these are places where you have these sub-goals and you have these sub-steps that you have to take, like selling your house, like getting training, like learning the language. And the net effect is this, is this mock that screams, take your high aspirations elsewhere. You will not get in. And yet, just as God allowed David and his men to conquer Jerusalem, there are stories of missionaries all over the globe reaching, going into the least reached places of the world. God providing victory. So hopefully in just a little bit, we'll talk about Turkey and let Turkey illustrate that. <clears throat> Let's continue on our story of um, uh, Jerusalem's city walls. Uh, the next story takes place 550 years later. This is now after the exile. This is Nehemiah's story. So let's go to Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Let's find Nehemiah. Turn to chapter four. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter four. I'm going to read verse from verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, this same wall, Jerusalem's wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at, at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone walls. Hear, O God, for we are despised. So here we have Sanballat and Tobiah's prediction. Their prediction went something like this. Your walls will be as feeble as you are. You will fail in your enterprise. And of course, the problem here is different from David's situation. David's situation was overconfident defenders on the inside. But now we have belittling onlookers on the outside. And the name of their game is to dissuade. They're, they are naysayers. They say a 12-pound fox could tear down what you're doing. 
Well, those of, you know, of you, those of you who know your Bibles well know that chapter 6 reports that Nehemiah was successful. In fact, the, com- the construction project was completed in 52 days, 52 days. But you might not know so one other detail about this wall. So turn with me to uh, ne- uh, Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah chapter 12. And I'm going to read beginning in verse 27. <clears throat> And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Now drop down with me to verse 31. Verse 31. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall. Now drop down with me to verse 38. Verse 38. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall. Finally, verse 43. And they offered great, that great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So, so much for the threat of a 12-pound fox. Quite the opposite, when this construction project was completed, Nehemiah got two large choirs on top of this wall. One went clockwise, the other one counterclockwise, both praising God for what he had done. And this strong structure served God's people for many, many years. And of course, the, the enterprise that they had undertaken was a spiritual enterprise. It was spiritual work that Nehemiah and his people were doing. And, and it had far, far, far the opposite of being a feeble ending. Rather, this task went from daunting to done, to done. So I'd like to take this story now and apply it to how God's working in the church age and this daunting story going from daunting, this task going from daunting to done, and simply use Turkey to illustrate that. So let me give you uh, a map of Turkey and talk about Turkey's uh, demographics. Uh, Turkey is straight north of Israel, so I think of it as kind of forming an umbrella north of Israel. Uh, Turkey's population is 85 million people. Uh, It's the 18th largest country in the world. Did you know that? Turkey is the 18th largest country in the world. 99% of the people would call themselves Muslim. Uh, In terms of the gospel, Turkey is probably the largest unreached country in the world. There are only 7,500 Turks who are following Christ in Turkey. That's nine one-thousandths of one percent of the population. Can you imagine that? Not nine percent of the population, not nine-tenths of one percent of the population, not nine one-hundredths, but nine one-thousandths of one percent of the population. If we took that same uh, proportion and applied it to uh, Wisconsin, that would be like saying in all of Wisconsin, in all of Wisconsin, there are only 530 followers of Christ. Can you imagine how much that would change Wisconsin's culture? And we, we, we need more than 530 people in this church to reach our immediate surroundings, much less, um, much less our, our entire states. 
much less our entire state. So the church is small, but let me ask another question. How quickly is the church growing? Is it feeble? Is it a feeble church? And to answer that question, I want to share with you some statistics. We've been in Turkey now for 28 years. um, And just want to talk about the growth of the gospel over the last 28 years. When we moved to Turkey, we moved to Turkey in 1995. There were 60 million. The population was 60 million. Uh, A young person recently reminded me painfully that I moved to Turkey in the 1900s. (laughs) So I guess that's technically true. I've been there since the 1900s. And when we moved there, there were 1,000 believers. Uh, Today, the population is 85 million believers. I'm sorry, 85 million people, the population, with 7,500 believers. What that means then is that the the general population has grown in 28 years by 40%. But the church, but the church has grown by 650% over that very same time. Or to say it another way, the church has grown 16 times faster than the population, friends. The church is small, but it's not feeble. It's bold. If we were to talk about just a little bit of, of our contribution, over the, uh, our ministry's contribution over the last uh, 28 years, uh, we, we've seen about 130 to about 140 people make a new profession of Christ. Praise the Lord for that. We've seen uh, 109 people get baptized in uh, 28 years. And that's just amazing because we, we've been in Turkey uh, 28 years. About 6,500 people have come to faith. If, we, if we've baptized 109, that means our tiny little ministry has contributed, has constituted 1.7% of the overall national growth of the gospel. And it just amazes, amazes us to think about that. We've planted five churches during that time. Uh, three of them are still ongoing. Uh, the two that uh, kind of fizzled out, and that's fine that they fizzled out. They served the Lord in his purposes for a time. Uh, one was one hour away, and so we were only going there like, you know, midweek, once a week we were going there. The other uh, church plant that we tried to start was three hours away, and we went there about every three weeks, and uh, both uh, fellowships um, were, were growing, uh, but for various reasons, they fizzled out. The believers that were there are now faithfully serving Christ in other churches. But nevertheless, three of those churches are continuing on today. Um, <clears throat> one pastor and his wife that this church supports, of course, Muammar and Nurgul. Uh, two other church planting families came to faith through our ministry and now are on the Black Sea serving the Lord, church planting. Our church currently has a deacon. And our church also currently has a church, a ministry intern that I'll talk about in just a little bit. And this is important, friends, because, you know, um, leadership probably everywhere in the world is the bottleneck. Leadership is the bottleneck to seeing churches planted. So to have some leaders come up through our ministry is just amazing. So the statistics just clearly show that um, the church is not feeble. Uh, that God is blessing his laborers all around the world. So let me talk specifically about our church plant right now. We live in Ankara. Ankara is the capital city of Turkey, 6 million people. And this picture is the very most main intersection, main crossroads of the capital city, okay? And that big building is a mall. And our church, our space that we're renting is right behind that big building, okay? So now we're gonna go right behind that mall to that big building. uh, behind the mall, in the mall's shadow, to this building. And we rent two floors. We're renting on the fourth and fifth floor. 
And so we're right smack downtown. And very oftentimes people say, Brian, you know, man, you're so central, very obvious. Is it, is it safe? Is it legal to be a Christian? I get that question very often. So I want to answer that right away. Uh, what we're doing absolutely is legal. Absolutely, it's safe, uh, but it's very uncommon <laughs> and it's very unwelcome. <laughs> and so what that means is that if you've lived in Turkey long enough, it, it, it's just a matter of time before you have run-ins with the police. <laughs> for example, uh, twice while I've been doing uh, literature distribution on the streets for various reasons, I wanted to get out and distribute tracts. Twice I've had, had uh, run-ins with the police. Uh, one of those times, uh, they picked me up. Uh, they put me in their police car, unfortunately, and took me to, a, a, to, to the north side of the city where they gave me a breathalyzer test. <laughs> I guess they thought, man, this person must be inebriated to, to, to have the guts to do this. And uh, of course, I passed the, that test. And, and then we got back in the car and taking me to another place. And we got lost. And so from the, second, from, from the back seat, I was directing the police, helping them, helping them get where they wanted to go. And um, so we got to another police station. We went into the basement and there was a sergeant there. And the sergeant said, I don't even know what to do with you. I have no clue what to do with you. It was Saturday. And, and my boss won't be here until Monday. We're just going to have to put you in detention. And they took my belt off. And they um, em emptied my pockets. And they took my shoes off. And I was like, wow, I'm going to be in detention for two days at least. Fortunately, they changed their minds and they gave me all my stuff back. And the reason for that is, like I said, what, what we're doing in Turkey is not illegal. It's just unwelcome. And so they, they like to shake the trees. One time I was just simply minding my own business in a, in a bus terminal doing an evangelistic Bible study with somebody. And apparently uh, what we were talking about got overheard. So they called in the police. The police picked me up and we went to the police station altogether. But probably the, uh, the most stressful time was the time the police actually kind of raided my uh, my office at uh, nine in the morning. And so I un un uh, unsuspectingly opened my door and these uh, eight plainclothed policemen came pouring into my tiny little office and, uh, and, and they began looking around in my shelves and my drawers and my desk. And, and then they explained, they explained to me, uh, we've received complaints against you. Uh, we've received complaints that you're a Satanist and a missionary. A Satanist and a missionary. Talk about having the book thrown at you, right? <laughs> Talk about getting the book thrown at you. And so they said, we're here to investigate. And uh, so that started the whole process, eight, uh, not nine in the morning. Eventually we got in the police car, went to the, to, the, to the police station, got in an elevator, went up to the fifth floor. The fifth floor elevator doors opened and it said counter-terrorism units. They're processing me in the counter-terrorism units. I couldn't believe it. And then one of the police said, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? Do, do Eskimos need refrigerators? Why are you here? And guys, that's a hard question when you're with the police. Do, do Eskimos need refrigerators? I don't know. No, they don't need refrigerators. And we don't need you in, your, in our country. Why are you here? So it was a stressful kind of a time. Eventually, they let me, they let me call Dana. And uh, that was before we had cell phones in, in those days. And so I used their phone and I called Dana. And I said, Dana, I'm with the police. I've been with the police since nine in the morning. Pray. <laughs> and, and Dana said this. I'll never forget it. Dana said, well... Um, do you think you're going to get home by seven o'clock tonight? Because I was going to go to the movies. <laughs> you know, and I, I think Dana had that peace that passes all understanding. <laughs> and uh, so eventually uh, I, I was let go. And uh, 
a few weeks later, we got a letter from the, from the district attorney's office. Like, this is huge. I'm in Turkey. I'm getting a letter from the district attorney's office. So I waited to open it uh, for when I was with Dana. We sat down together and we opened it. And there's my name, my accusation, Satanism and missionary activity. And at the end, it said, the, the conclusion of investigation, insufficient evidence. <laughs> so don't tell the missions committee that it said insufficient evidence for being a missionary. <laughs> And again, the reason why it was written that way is just simply because it's not illegal uh, what we are doing in the country. And uh, so now we're going to the inside of the church. Um, um, there are about, we've been planting this church for nine years now. We have about 25 to 30 regular attenders. We praise the Lord for that. By the way, a church of about 30, uh, 25 to 30 is, is really in the uh, medium to medium large size church, large size for Turkey. A church of 100 people would be, believe me, would be a mega church in Turkey to have 100 people. And this is a picture of me uh, sharing the gospel with uh, some university students. And, uh, you know, sharing the gospel is very different in Turkey than the way we do things in America. And I just want to illustrate that just with one thing, just with one point. Um, and that is this, you know, the topic, God is a topic of interest in Turkey. God is something that people are naturally interested in talking about. It's not taboo. It's not something that's suppressed. And I like to, I like to illustrate it this way. In America, if I want to get your attention, I could say something like this. Hey, I know something about Aaron Rodgers that you never heard before. And you ooh, ooh. And you'd hush down, your ears would be perked, right? Can you imagine, in Turkey, you could say, hey, I know something about the prophets that you've never heard before. And they would say, wow, what is it? Let me know. Can you imagine that? That's the interest that's there. So all other things, the question to ask then, the question to ask then is, all other things being equal, which culture would you rather live in? Right? <laughs> culture that's interested in talking about the prophets and the Bible and God. Um, oh, I didn't want to go forward quite yet. So the, the, the girl here who's covered, her, her name is Nur. Uh, many of you know that for years and years and years now, we've been giving away free Bibles on the internet, giving away free Bibles, and then inviting people to get together to talk about what they're reading. And that's how we, we met Noor. She, this is a girl that's covered there. And uh, this is a picture that was taken very soon after we got to meet her. She was willing to come to the church. Uh, she eventually came to faith. Uh, and she didn't want to take off her head covering, which is fine. I mean, for her, it was a modesty issue. And of course, we're, we're all about modesty and there was no problem whatsoever. But of course, it also is, an, it is a, a symbol of Islam. So eventually she decided that she wanted to uncover and she did that. And so this is Noor uh, uncovered. We're like, whoa, Noor, Noor dyes her hair red. How cool is that? We didn't know that. And you know, Noor, Noor just loves the Lord. She loves God's word. She's changing. It's just every week she's changing, growing, learning, learning, learning the word. She's wanting to be involved in ministry. This is her with her parents. Uh, her parents still don't know that she's a believer. That's a super hard step for a young person to take, to tell their relatives that they've come to know Christ. One day, Noor said to me, Brian, you know, we have Facebook, we got websites, we got all these other things. We need to do Instagram. We should have Instagram. And I said, okay, that's great. Let's do it. What's Instagram, <laughs> right? So she's like, no, no, you, we got to do Instagram. So I said, that's great. Let's do this. So this, in this picture, Noor is videoing uh, Sinan, and I'll talk about him in just a little bit. Uh, she's... Uh, um, producing content for our Instagram uh, accounts. And would you believe that this Instagram account, just like the things that we've been doing, Noor's Instagram account is generating one face-to-face -face visit per week. 
In fact, two days ago, so this is something we're used to now. We've been doing it now for probably four or five months. And she told me just two days ago that somebody's come to know the Lord who is an original Instagram contact. Con- contact. So um, we just praise the Lord for Noor. Uh, and the, over the last four years, we've seen about 40 people come to faith in Christ. Four years, four, I'm sorry, 40 people get baptized. So on average, nearly one person a month. Praise the Lord for that. The Lord is working among Muslim background people. This is Sinan. Uh, Of course, we don't want to see people just come to know the Lord. We want to train leaders. Sinan uh, in the purple, uh, we met him through the internet. Uh, He came to know the Lord very quickly. And God just absolutely, the grace of Christ absolutely changed his life so much that his wife, she had like to, 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 get involved and investigate and, and, and get engaged. And she eventually came to faith as well. I'll never forget, we were celebrating Christmas during COVID. We were celebrating over Zoom and on a Zoom phone call, she let our church family know that she had come to faith in Christ. Their children have, have also come to faith. Um, we saw Sinan growing in the Lord and eventually said, we would like you to train to become a deacon. Would you will be willing to take that challenge? And he took that challenge. I began meet, meeting with him for about a year, year and a half, every Wednesday night in his home with his family. And last December, we uh, appointed him as a church deacon. And of course, not only do we want to see our church grow, we want to see other churches uh, grow. And so uh, Pastor Spencer talked about Moamer, uh, who is the pastor of our very first church plant. Let me tell you uh, the, the story of this uh, first and second generation. When we moved to Kaiseri, when we moved to Kaiseri, the, the city population was 750,000 uh, 750, people. That's three quarter million people. And there was not one known believer in the entire city. In fact, from that city, if you wanted to attend a Bible study, you would have to travel five hours. North, south, east, west, take your pick. You would have to travel five hours to get to the next nearest Bible study. And the Lord led us to this city. And we saw people come to faith. One of the very first people to come to faith with faith was Muammer and uh, his wife. And he too went on in God's grace, growing, changing, learning God's word. We eventually sent him to Bible school. He graduated with his wife. And um, uh, by, uh, during that time, the, the children came to faith. By the way, he, so his son is a twin. Both twins came to faith. Um, and obviously, Esau, his name is Esau. He's grown up now. Um, and by the way, uh, recently, Muammer celebrated the 25th relative. 25th among all of his relatives, 25 people now have come to faith in Christ. And Esau said to me, he said, Brian, you know, I, if the Lord would, would allow, I would love to follow my dad into ministry. I want to serve in the church. And I said, Esau, if that's true, then I have a great idea for you. I'm going to be in America for all of 2023. Why don't you move to Ankara and why don't you do a church internship for the whole year in our church plant? And he said, I'd love to do that. And so Esau is at our church plant right now. In fact, he preached this morning. A few hours ago, he preached. And so what I'm saying is we went to this church that was completely unreached. And now from one family, two generations of leaders and 25 other relatives have come to faith in Christ. It's just amazing. I want to talk just at the end here, what it's like going to church. We talk about some of the fruits, some of the people that have come to faith. What about our, what about our church service? How is our church service in Turkey different than in America? So first I want to understand where we're at in this picture. I'm in our building. I'm on the fourth floor or the fifth floor, and I'm looking down on the street below, and I took this picture. So every Sunday, the police show up 
to our church plant to, to protect us. We have two, two police cars, cars here. One in the back has three uh, plain-clothed policemen in a, in a circle, and then the other car has seven uniformed policemen. And so uh, can you imagine the police themselves estimate that the threat is great enough that they allocate resources to protect us? They themselves estimate that there's a threat there. So that begs the question, would you come to church if the police themselves were estimating that there was a threat that they would send resources? A second difference uh, between church planting in America, uh, in Turkey, is that unfortunately we're not allowed to share the gospel with minors. We're not allowed to share, with, share the gospel with people who are under 18 years old, who are not adults. And you know what that means for us on a regular basis in our church building? We have high school kids that are lying to us about their age because they want to get in. They're lying to us about their age because they want to see the inside of a church. They want to get a copy of God's word. They want to talk to Christians. They want to come on Sunday and see what a service. They're lying, high schoolers, to come into the church. And some we catch, some we don't. And it's, it's difficult, but it's amazing. Just, just kind of, it just kind of speaks to the interest that people have to get a copy of God's word. You know, the last difference that I would mention is, uh, let me put it this way. I wonder if there's anybody here that would be bold enough to raise their hand and admit something to us this morning. To raise their hand and to admit to this, that it's true, I'm, I'm hiding the fact that I'm in church from somebody in my life. There's somebody in my life, that, and I don't want them to know that I'm in church and I'm hiding that fact. And probably there's nobody in this church that would raise their hand and say, yep, that's true, that's me. I'm hiding that from somebody. But you know, in Turkey, nearly everybody is hiding the fact, at least from one person, that they've come to faith, or for that matter, that they're in church on that Sunday. Many of the people are hiding that fact from everybody in their lives. And so it makes church attendance very, very tricky for them. Because they know that if their mom or dad would find out that they would, they would get kicked out of the home, at least temporarily. Or if, they get, if their mom or dad would find out at least temporarily, temporarily they would lose, lose help in paying college bills. But you know, that truth, that threat is also true for people, older people who have adult children. Now let's think about this. Why is it that older believers would hide the fact that they're in church from their adult children? children. What power would adult children hold over these older folks such that they would hide the fact that they're in church? And the answer is this threat. Well, if you're a Christian, then you will never see your grandson again. If you're going to church, then I will never let you see your granddaughter again. That, that just repulses me and I want nothing to do. You will not see your grandchild again. And it's because of that threat that older believers be, even are hiding the fact that they're going to church from their adult children. Now, this church has a few pastors. I wonder how many pastors would still be here at this church if that threat were here. These pastors enjoy this, uh, this um, army of a supporting you know, congregation. How would this congregation be changed if that threat were true like it is in Turkey? So we considered uh, Israel's walls. Israel's the wall is the story of Israel's walls. The story began, Jer uh, sorry, Jerusalem's walls. Sta starts with David, ends with Nehemiah, 
The first, the first um, mockery came from the Jebusites who said, you will not get in here. Sanballat and Tobiah eventually said, your efforts will be feeble. And yet God gave them victory, gave David and then Nehemiah victory. And in the same way, God is giving victory to those who are going to the least reached nations of the world. So I hope this story, the story from God's word, the story from Turkey encourages your hearts to be involved in this task that we sang about this morning, this task of praying for the least reached, giving for the least reached, and going for the least reached. Let's pray. Lord, it is a whole different world in places like Turkey. And we would like to think that our faith would be strong to keep us on our feet, even in those kind of contexts. Thank you for the opportunity to, to, to test our hearts, to examine our hearts. Bless us, make us bold, give us resolve. Help us to be sure of the hope that we have in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.